So I just want to, you know, note that it's our last day of the retreat and I just like to, for the last day, try to, you know, tie things up in a way so you can take something home with you when you're leaving, you know, this evening. And, uh, you know, one of the most important things is to really to have like a sense of urgency that one really understands the situation, you know, sense of urgency in terms of, you know, we don't know when we will die. So try, you know, to practice as good as we can because we do not know, you know, when we're going to have our last breath and then there's nothing else we can take with us, only you know, the quality of our minds the, and what we have been you know, calculating over this life and other lifetimes. It must have been not too bad last lifetime because, you know, we're all in a pretty good situation. We are able you know, to have the time and the health to do a retreat. So that's already amazing. Very good karma. I think that's good news. But still, you know, there's more to be done. So the sense of urgency, you know, for our personal practice and then also a sense of urgency in a you know in a whole sense of our civilization which is driving itself over the edge, you know, with climate change. And if we are not able, you know, to make a a shift in consciousness then we're gonna have very bad things coming towards us. That's it's certain, you know. There's no more doubt that this is what's going to happen. It's already happening, you know, for some people who live in, in less pristine areas than this one. Here it's really amazing, the, you know, the beauty and the you know, freshness of the environment, but there's very terrible places already in, on the planet you know, where people can't actually anymore live or breathe or grow food or... It's... It's really very serious, you know, and, and our personal practice is definitely, you know, a good way of kind of clearing the mind out from delusion and, you know, be, having clear priorities. So it's a good contribution, but it's not enough. But at least, you know, it makes us stronger and makes our mind stronger so we know what to do and what not to do. So, you know, basically I've been speaking about, you know, the practice of the four foundations of mindfulness, which is the, you know, kind of basic blueprint of the Buddha's teachings on meditation. And, uh, you know, and Vera Manalio has laid it out in, in, in the form of a wheel the wheel of the four foundations of mindfulness practice and the hub of the wheel he speaks about as as you know being firmly rooted in one's experience of the body that's the hub of the wheel the anchor that which is anchors us in the present moment firmly rooted in the whole body the actual experience of you know having or being a body which is like pressure, heat, tingling, and all of those different, you know, sensations we can witness when we, you know, look at the experience. 
And, you know, that's the hub, the, the rootedness in the body, the groundedness. And, you know, we instructed to kind of look at those experiences with detachment, you know, with no, no judgment, just like being with those experiences as they are and not be drawn into them, you know, in spinning stories about them. So, you know, observing them and having like some space around them. And in the scriptures, it's compared with a, a cow herd, you know, who is sitting on a hill and looking down on the cows after the harvest has been brought in. He doesn't have to worry that they're going to eat the crops and that he's going to get, you know, into trouble for that. He can just sit there kind of knowing the cows are there, you know, they haven't run off. But he doesn't need to worry about that they're going to stay in a particular, you know, small space. So that kind of awareness. And it's mindfulness and clear comprehension. So he knows, you know, the cows are there. And he also knows, you know, that they haven't gone anywhere where they shouldn't go. So that's mindfulness and clear comprehension. And then the rim of the, of the wheel, you know, where the rubber hits the road, so to say, this is what, how we kind of enact our insights in our lives and, you know, what we can call like an appropriate response. And, you know, that the essence of that is letting go. You know, in order to be, have, to be able you know, to appropriately respond to anything, you know, in our lives, it has to come from an attitude of, of letting go of control, you know, and letting go of expectations. And then, you know, from that spaciousness of being not, you know, fixated on a particular outcome, we just act as good as we can and then, you know, we let it go and, and see what happens. That's the only thing we can do. If we are not fixated on a particular outcome, then we are much more able, you know, to be really in the present moment and anchored in the present moment and then act appropriately because we are not kind of just half there because we are already in the future. And only if we are fully here can we, you know, take in everything that needs to be taken into account and then appropriately respond rather than you know, react in habitual ways. And, uh, you know, I've been guiding you yesterday in a, in a guided meditation on the elements and also, you know, the body parts were also part of it because we spoke about the earth element, you know, can be recognized in the bones, water element can be recognized in the flesh and fire element, heat element can be recognized on the skin and then with the air element in the, the breathing in and breathing out and space element, the cavities of the body and the space around us. So, you know, the meditation on, on the elements and on the body parts, they help us, you know, to be firmly rooted in the body because as you might have noticed, you know, after the meditation, the mind was really much more quiet and settled because, you know, we gave it something to do first for about like 15 minutes and then it was willing, the mind was willing to stay, you know. Like with a little dog, you know. You chase him around for a certain amount of time, then he's going to be tired 
and lie down. And the mind is like that too. You just give it some work and then it's just going to lie down for some time. And then using that, you know, then to really, um, you know, familiarize ourselves with temporary liberation of the mind. You know, how if someone is permanently liberated like a Buddha or an Arahant, they would have a mind like this all the time, you know, where all the thoughts and all the sensations and everything is just like clouds moving through and there's no more fixating on anything. But we can have a temporary taste of that. And I said, you know, my first teacher, Ajahn Buddhadasa, was calling that little nibbanas, like to have a little taste. And, you know, when you go to a, a shop, sometimes they have people there who give you a little taste of some new product, <laughs> hoping that you would buy it, you know. And that's the same thing, hoping you would buy the tiny banner, you know, that you really want it enough. So, yeah, so that's, you know, what we were doing is like rooting in the body and then, you know, the mind was quiet for some time and we could kind of get a taste of it and then also, you know, really rejoicing in the beauty of the mind, you know, it's like when I was speaking about uh, reward-based learning, you know, because you really can train the mind just like any other being, you know, and uh, then, you know, if the mind really understands and really deeply sees, you know, the restfulness, the beauty and the kind of unworldly joy of this, it's much more poised, you know, to come back to it easier. So we have to familiarize ourselves with it. It's not about, you know, kind of, you know, forcing the mind to be still. That won't work. But just doing it in a way which is much more, you know, expedient, which means, you know, finding some kind of wholesome tricks, basically, you know, to trick the mind into stillness and then to really kind of take in the beauty and the the sublime experience, you know, and then that will do the trick, you know, to help us to let go of other attachments much more um, easily, you know, because we have seen the comparison, you know, between uh, a coarse, sensual pleasure and a non-worldly joy, it just doesn't add up, it just doesn't, can't compete with that, you know. And and one can only, if somebody tells you, like me, you know, it doesn't really help very much. But if you have experienced it a few times, then you know, there's no more doubt about this, you know. And, uh, and then, you know, the letting go and and, you know, to, to keep a certain amount of discipline, all of that comes, like, increasingly more and more easy, you know, because it just doesn't make any sense, you know, to waste one's energy in the ways, you know, our culture is trying to sell us, you know, in order to kind of support systems, you know, which are actually killing us, really. It's just crazy. It's just madness, really. And... Who wants to participate in that, really, if there's something much better than this? And so, you know, what we can really kind of realize is this, 
you know, it's called in the scriptures, dwelling independently without clinging to anything. And not in order, you know, to kind of become apathetic to what's happening in the world, but in order to become more effective, you know, <coughs> because we are less weighed down by all kinds of nonsense, you know, which is not really essential. And then we have more time, more energy, more space, and everything. You know, so we can do that which needs to be done. Or at least we can try, you know. Because, of course, we don't know what's going to... the result will be. But at least, you know, then we can really, you know, train ourselves in, in, in good qualities. And then on our deathbed, we will feel ready to go, you know, because we know we did the best we could, we haven't wasted our time. And then we die with that kind of mind. It's a very good start for the next life. So, you know, however we look at it, it's, it's a very good deal, really. Because you can't really, you can't lose, you know, that way. Because as we have, you know, heard and and also chanted just before, you know, there is nothing else you can take with you when you die. It's only the quality of your mind. So why not let go a bit before dying? You know, anyway, we don't know when we die. We might die today. We might die before lunch, you know, and all of that. So it's actually, you know, if you really think about it, it's a very good investment. And it cannot, you know... It cannot be to our detriment at all. It's just the opposite. And uh, so, you know, I wanted to to maybe guide us in a in a meditation about uh, mortality because that's con- considered a very good way of coaching the mind. You know, to come into the present moment. First, you know, the meditation on the elements and the body parts firmly roots us in the body. And then meditation on mortality kind of roots us in the present moment. And all those three belong to the first foundation of mindfulness, which is about body. And, uh, you know, the body parts or anatomical parts, how it's called, you know, what they bring home to us is, is, is the first, is, is one of the three characteristics, the characteristic of Dukkha or unsatisfactoriness, and uh, and the substitute for that, you know, is is to see the beauty of the mind, you know, the beauty of the still mind, and to just rejoice in that. And then the meditation on the element drives home to us the concept of anatta, or you know, empty of self, not self. And, uh, you know, it helps us to disidentify from this body as me or mine. And what it drives home is, you know, the truth of interdependence or interbeing and the potential in to awaken to that. And uh, the meditation on mortality, what it drives home is like, Impermanence, you know, it's it's like really the cutting edge practice of impermanence is to reflect about about one's own death. And uh, what it drives home is impermanence, and what it 
enables us is to, is to let go. So those three practices, you know, in the first foundation of mindfulness, they take care of all three of the three characteristics, you know. So mortality takes care of understanding impermanence. Uh, the elements help us to understand not self or empty of self and anatomical parts help us to see you know the unsatisfactoriness or dukkha of everything and they are just like three different practices you know which help us to be in the body and be in the present moment in terms of of samatha practice and also at the same time they have also a vipassana element in it you know they have they also bring home some insight and, and then the other three foundations of mindfulness, feeling tone, um, mind state, and dhammas, those three, they are, you know, teaching us mainly about impermanence. And then, as I spoke yesterday, impermanence and, you know, fading away of attachment, cessation of suffering, and letting go. So they all, you know, they are all kind of geared towards seeing those three characteristics because that's what is liberating. And they counteract the four vipalasa. I was speaking about those, I think, yesterday in the morning, you know, the four inversions, mm -hmm. the four hallucinations. They're directly there to counteract those. You know, and that's in a nutshell all we have to kind of accomplish in the practice. And also it isn't intellectually very challenging. It's just like not easy to do and takes, takes time and effort and energy and discipline and all of the things, you know, which are hard to do. This is why we need like to have a sense of urgency that we feel, you know, motivated. <clears throat> 